We'll hear argument first today in 05908, Parents Involved in Community Schools versus Seattle School District Number 1. Mr. Corral. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In an effort to achieve its desired racial balance in its popular high schools, the Seattle School District denied over 300 children, both white and minority children, admission to their chosen schools solely because of their race and without any individualized consideration. This strikes at the heart of the Equal Protection Clause, which commands that government treat people as individuals, not simply as members of a racial class. This fundamental equal protection principle was reiterated in Grutter and in Graz. The central question in this case is not, as the school district and many of its allies suggest, whether integration is important or whether desegregation is compelling. The central question in this case is whether, outside of the remedial context, diversity, defined as the school district does, as a white, non-white racial balance, can be a compelling interest that justifies the use of race discrimination in high school admissions. Do you agree in general with the Solicitor General's brief? Do you agree in general with the brief submitted by the government, or do you have differences with it in its approach? Justice Kennedy, we, we, uh, we agree mostly with the uh, Solicitor General's brief. I believe the Solicitor General might take a different position on uh, whether uh, race-neutral mechanisms can be used to accomplish race-specific purposes. Well, I That's not an issue that the Court need to reach in this case. Well, it, 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 it is a point that I'd, I'd like both him and you to discuss at some point during your argument. Uh, it, can you use race for site selection? You have you need to be, build a new school. There are three sites. One it would be all one race. The site two would be all the other race. Site three would be uh, a, a diversity of races. Can the school board, uh, with uh, the the intent to have diversity, pick site number three? Justice Kennedy, I think the answer turns on the reason that the schools have the racial compositions that they do. It, that is, if it, it, there's well, we can have all different kinds of hypotheticals, but there's residential housing segregation, and, and, it, wants to, and it wants to have diversity. Your Honor, our position is that if, if the resulting — if the racial composition of those schools is not the result of past de jure segregation — No, it's a new, a new school. It's a new school. In, in that case, Your Honor, parents' position is that the government can't be in the position of deciding what the right racial mix is. So it has, and, to, and, so it has to take the three sites, all of them the hypothetical, all of them equal, and just flip a coin, because otherwise it would be using right. Uh, Your Honor, I, I, obviously it's not, not the facts of the Seattle case. In the hypothetical, Your Honor, posits perhaps the, the right analogy is something similar to the, uh, the redistricting cases where the court could look and see whether uh, the racial motive was a predominant factor as opposed to the sole no, no, factor The school motivated. board says we want this right up front. We want racial diversity in our new school. Your Honor. Illicit under the 14th Amendment in your view. Your Honor, school districts can do many, many things through race-neutral means that they could not do with race discrimination, which but is what's going have, on in this Can they have a race-conscious objective, I think that that's the question that Justice Kennedy is asking you, and I don't get a clear answer. You say you can't use a racial means, but can you have a racial objective? That is, you want to achieve balance in the schools. 
Justice Ginsburg, our, our position is that that is prohibited by the Constitution, absent past discrimination. Well, you, by the what, what, you, you would object then to magnet schools? I mean, you, 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 you would object to uh, uh, any, any system that, that is designed to try to uh, uh, cause people voluntarily to, uh, uh, to go into a system that is more racially mixed? Justice Scalia, our objection to the Seattle program is that it is not a race-neutral matter. No, I understand, but I'm, I'm trying to find, what, you know, what the outer limits of your of your contentions are, and it, it doesn't seem to me that that your your briefs uh, indicated that you would object to something like magnet schools. The uh, even if one of the purposes of those those schools is to try to cause more white students to go to schools that are predominantly non-white. It's just voluntary, I mean, but the object is to, uh, to achieve a, a, a greater racial mix. And, Your Honor, we, we object to the, to, the, to the, if that is the sole goal of a school district, absent past discrimination, we object. But, but, but that, that kind of hypothetical situation, I think, is, isn't necessary for the Court to read no, in, in the, in the current case. That. Well, it may not be necessary for you, but it might be necessary for us when we write the case. We're not writing uh, uh, just uh, on a very fact-specific issue. And, of course, the follow-up question, and the Solicitor General can, can address it, too, is this, assuming some race-conscious measures are, are permissible to have diversity, then isn't it odd to say that you can't use race as a means? I mean, that's, that's the next question. And, it, it, and that may, in fact, um, be why you give the, seem to give the answer that you do, that you just don't want to embrace that contradiction. Well, Your Honor, it is, it is certainly difficult if, if race, if racial balance can be a goal of government then it is more difficult to defend a racial balancing plan as unconstitutional, to attack one as constitutional. That, that, is, that is true. I mean, the, the, this Court has said repeatedly that racial balancing is unconstitutional. Well, and we've said it repeatedly uh, in contexts different from this. I mean, the paradigm context in which we've, we've made remarks to that effect, stated that, uh, are in affirmative action cases. Uh, the, the point of the affirmative action case is that, at, that some criterion, which otherwise would be the appropriate criterion of selection, is being displaced by a racial mix criterion. That is not what is happening here. This is not an affirmative action case. So, so why should, should the statements that have been made in these entirely different contexts necessarily uh, decide this case? Justice Souter, we disagree that the, the analysis in uh, the Gruder and Gratz cases is entirely different from the analysis in this case. But in, you have to agree that those cases left someone out of the picture entirely, so we were talking about a selection of one person or another. The word sorting has been used in this context because everybody gets to go to school. Indeed, they're required to go to school, so no one gets left out of the system. And I think there have been Court of Appeals judges who have noted we have never had that case before. It's not like the affirmative action cases. Your Honor, I, I agree that, that this Court has not had a case like this before. I disagree, however, that it's not like the Gruder or the Gratz decision. I mean, the, the plaintiff in Gratz, as, as the Court undoubtedly is aware, 
attended the University of Michigan at Dearborn. He got into a school. He didn't get into the school that he wanted to go to. Similarly, in our case with the, uh, the, the plaintiffs, they wanted to go to their preferred schools, schools that the school district acknowledges provided different educational opportunities, provided uh, produced different educational outcomes, and they were preferable to the parents and the children who wanted to go. Why do you agree that this is not an affirmative action case? Is it not? Wherein does it differ? I thought that the school district was selecting some people uh, because they wanted a certain racial mix in the schools. And we're taking the affirmative action of giving a preference to students of a certain race. Why, why, isn't, why doesn't that qualify as affirmative action? If, if that's what affirmative action is, Your Honor, then Well, I don't know what else that. it is. What, 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 why, what do you think it is that uh, causes you to uh, seemingly accept the uh, characterization that this is not it? Your Honor, perhaps I misspoke. I didn't mean to, to accept the characterization that this case does not let involve me, let selection. Me help, let me help you out by taking you back to my question. One of the characteristics of the affirmative action cases was the displacement of, of some other otherwise generally acknowledged relevant criterion, uh, <clears throat> such as ability as shown in test scores, grade point averages, and things like that. Uh, and, and that was a characteristic of those cases. It is not a characteristic of this case, as I understand it. I'm not sure that's exactly right, Your Honor. The, in, in this case, the, the school district admitted in the, in the um, uh, response to the request for admissions that had the identified children been of a different race, they would have been admitted into the, to the I school. Thought no, we, we here. That. I but thought there was a criterion here, and that is you can go to whatever school you want. That you, you were allowed to go to a certain choice of school. The criterion was your choice. Uh, Justice Scalia, you're right, and there's another criterion which I think well, was getting Well, but when you point. say Justice Scalia is, is right, you are assuming, I think, as, as your brief assumes, that the definition of the benefit to be received here is the act of choice, not the provision of an education. Now, the act of choice may be of value, and I do not suggest that it's not. Uh, clearly the school district thinks it does or it wouldn't provide choice. But it is, not the, it is not the entire benefit that is being provided. And the principal benefit is the education, not the choice of schools. Isn't that correct? Your Honor, there are both benefits, but I would point, Your Honor, back to this Court's decision in Graz, where the same analysis would apply. And if Your Honor's analysis is correct, that would mean, I think, that the Graz case would have been decided differently. I, th I think that the point that Justice Souter is trying to make, as I understand it, is, of course, there's a similarity with Graz. People choose. But there's a big difference. The similarity in Gruder and the difference in Gruder and Graz is that you had a prize, a school that was supposed to be better than others, that the members of that school, the faculty and the administration, tried to make it better than others. It was an elite merit selection academy. And if you put the black person in, the white person can't get the benefit of that. Here we have no merit selection system. Merit is not at issue. The object of the people who run this place is not to create a school better than others. It is to equalize the schools. That's in principle and in practice. If you look at the numbers, you see that the six schools that were at the top, their position would shift radically from year to year. 
preferences was about equal among them. They have the same curriculum. They have similar faculties. And I don't think anyone can say, either in theory or in practice, that one of these schools happened to be like that prize of University of Michigan, a merit selection system. That, I think, was a major difference that he was getting at. Why this is not the same kind of thing that was at issue in Gruder and Gratz. Now, what is your response to that? Your Honor, we have several responses. The, the, the first is the, the premise of Your Honor's question is that the schools are, in essence, fungible for purposes of providing a high school education. And I would direct Your Honor to the district court judge's uh, decision. And there's a footnote in the decision in which she acknowledged that the, uh, the schools were not of equal quality, that they provided different levels of, of education. Well, of course they're not, and that's why some of them were oversubscribed. I didn't and, say and others were, were undersubscribed. I didn't say that they were. What I said was that the object of the school board and the administering authorities was to make them roughly equal. I said that in terms of curriculum and faculty, they're about roughly equal. And in terms of choice, what you see is a wide variation in choice by those who want to go as to which is their preference among six schools over a period of five years. And that suggests a rough effort to create equality, not an effort, as in Michigan, to run a merit selection system. I, I agree with Your Honor that there is not a merit selection system in this case. Fine. We, we now the question is why doesn't that fact, that this is not a merit selection system, but a different kind of thing, a sorting system, or a system designed to maintain a degree of integration, why doesn't that difference make a difference? Your Honor, because I think that the, the fundamental command of the Equal Protection Clause is that uh, government treats citizens as individuals, not as members of a racial group. And that command, I don't think, is suspended because of the nature of a school's admissions process. That right is still possessed by the individual students. And if a student is entitled to be treated as an individual as opposed to a member of a racial group at a university level, it's parents' position that are entitled to that same protection at the, uh, uh, at the high school level. Mr. Burrell, before your time runs out, I did want to clarify something about the standing of the plaintiffs here. Do I understand correctly that none of the parents who originally brought this lawsuit have children who are now pre-ninth grade, but that newcomers, people who recently joined, do have children of pre-ninth grade age? Uh, Your Honor, that, that, is, that is mostly correct. There is also a, a family that joined uh, the Parent Association back in 2000 that has a child in seventh grade that will be approaching high school by the time this Court decides this case. What, what the lawsuit was originally brought by a corporate entity, correct? Uh, that's correct, Your Honor. Not by individual parents? That's correct. But it, you, you don't dispute that the membership, for standing purposes, the membership is what counts, not the association, but the members. Uh, Your Honor, my understanding of uh, the Court's jurisprudence on associational standing is that as long as a member of the association has standing, then the association has it. And we submit that that has been uh, established by the complaint, the interrogatory responses, and yeah, by but the if it is, a, it is a member, uh, jurisdictional questions generally, don't we go by what the membership was when the complaint was filed and not what it has become 
in the course of the litigation? I, I don't think that's right, Your Honor, and we've cited to the court the Pinnell case, uh, the Associate General Contractors case, and Roe versus Wade, all of which look at post-filing factors to confirm so, that there's standing. The class action case situation is different. You're right, Your Honor. None of those were class action cases. Uh, Pinnell and Associate General Contractors were association cases much like this one. Uh, Roe, of course, is an individual plaintiff. If, May I, I ask this one brief question, if you could? Does the record tell us the 300 people who were failed to get in the schools they want to, uh, the racial composition of that group? It does, Justice Stevens. The, the record shows that one, roughly 100 students who were denied admission to their preferred schools were non-white, and roughly 200 who were denied admission were, were white students. If there are no further questions, Mr. Chief Justice, I'd like also. to reserve my time. General Clement. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Respondents assert an interest in addressing the most racially isolated schools in the district, yet their plan does not address the two most racially concentrated high schools in their district. They likewise assert an interest in diversity, yet their plan does not directly address diversity other than pure racial diversity, and they do nothing to, to assemble the kind of critical mass that was at issue in the Grutter case. In fact, if you look at the program and how it operates in practice, the triggering critical mass for the use of the racial tiebreaker is when a student, when a school has less than 25 percent white students or when it has less than 45 percent non-white students. Now, there's nothing in the record or in social science that suggests that there's a radical difference in the critical mass based on the race of the students. Of course, what explains that difference in the triggering critical mass of white students versus non-white students, the answer to that does not lie in educational theory. The answer lies in the demographics of the district. The district happens to have 20 percent more non-white students than white students. So they trigger the race tiebreaker at a different point under those circumstances. With all respect to respondents, the answer to how this program works lies not in diversity but in demographics. They are clearly working backwards from the overall demographics of the school district rather than working forward to any clearly articulated pedagogical goal. Counsel, if I could get back to Justice Kennedy's question earlier, how do you distinguish decisions like citing magnet schools, clustering uh, uh, from the consideration of race in this case? Well, Mr. Chief Justice, I think that those decisions are different primarily because the resulting decision is not a racial classification. And if you think about it, when you have an overt racial classification, like you clearly do in these cases, then you naturally ask the strict scrutiny questions and look for a compelling interest. If instead you start with a race-neutral government action that doesn't classify people directly based on race, (coughs) then I suppose you could try to do some kind of Arlington Heights, Washington Davis uh, type analysis. Well, what what would you do with strategic site selection in order to create uh, uh, racial diversity? Well, Justice Kennedy, I think — And that's, that's, the, that's the expressed and, 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 and principal, principal purpose. You know, you know the hypothetical. Okay. And, Justice Kennedy, I'm, I'll answer the hypo, but let me just say that it's very easy for purposes of a hypo to say the sole reason was for race. In the real world, in fact, I can't imagine that a site decision won't be based, at least in part, on concerns about the overall educational benefits. And I think that's important. The reason I start with that preface is because when you have mixed motives and a variety of factors, I think you'd be unlikely to strike down that kind of motive. Are you suggesting there was no consideration of overall educational benefits in this plan? No, Justice Stevens. I'm saying that you basically start at a different departure point when you have an express racial classification. 
Suppose I think I'm trying to answer Justice Kennedy's question about what if you have a sort of a race-conscious goal at some level, um, and that's why you s- select a particular site or you cite — or you decide that you're going to invest in magnet schools, and you want to put a magnet school in a particular school district. My, my, my humble point is simply that in the real world, I think you're unlikely to have the pure racial motive uh, type objective. Suppose I would say that — it's with faculty, and the, the school district makes a deliberate effort to have members of the white race and members of other races represented in, on the faculty of every school. So you won't have uh, one school with all white teachers, so that you'll have a mix. And that's quite explicit. That's, that's their objective, and they're using a racial criterion to get there. Would that be impermissible, to have a mix of teachers in all the schools? Well, Justice Ginsburg, I think if what they want to do is have a mix of teachers, that might be okay. If they're going to start assigning teachers to particular schools and have sort of racial quotas for the faculty at the various schools, I think that crosses a line. Well, what would be okay? How would you get there other than having — well, the point I'm trying to make has been made by others. And let me read uh, from just Judge Boudin's decision. He says, the choice is between openly using race as a criterion or concealing it through some clumsier proxy device. If you want to have an integrated school and you cite the school deliberately to achieve that objective, it's very hard for me to see how you can have a racial objective but a non-racial means to get there. Well, with respect, Justice Ginsburg, I think there's a fundamental difference between have the same intent with two programs. There's a fundamental difference if one of them necessarily classifies people on the basis of their skin color and the other does not. General Clement, is, 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 is there anything unconstitutional about desiring a mingling of the races and establishing policies which achieve that result but which do not single out individuals and disqualify them for certain things because of their race. Is there anything wrong with the policy of wanting to have racial mix? Justice Scalia, we would take the position that there's not, and that there's a fundamental difference between whether or not the policy manages to avoid classifying people on the basis Uh, of their race. At page 7 of your brief, you say school districts have an unquestioned interest in reducing minority isolation. If I put a period there... Uh, then I would uh, get to my strategic site selection, and I still haven't got your answer on that. You don't put a period there. You say, I have an un- unquestioned interest in reducing minority isolation through race-neutral means. Uh, and this brings up the same question as Justice Ginsburg had. Isn't it an odd jurisprudence where we have an objective that we state in one set of terms, but um, a means for achieving it in another set of terms, unless your answer is — uh, that individual classification by race is, is impermissible, but other, but more, more broad uh, measures based on with a racial purpose are all right. Well, and I think that's ultimately the answer, Justice Kennedy, which is there's a fundamental difference between classifying people and having the real-world effects. I mean, in this case, I mean, don't forget that there were 89 minority students that wanted to attend Franklin High School. They could not solely because of their race. At the same time, every white student who applied to Franklin High School was allowed in solely based on their race. What is now, the answer to my, my 
strategic site selection hypothetical? We would say that's, that's fine. We would say that that is permissible for the school to pursue that. And just to get back, though, again, we say that then avoiding what? racial isolation is um, — I just want to make the point. We say that racial isolation is, a, is an important government interest. I think if you put this plan up against that objective, it, so, it, it sorely fails, because there are two high schools that I think you would look at as being racially isolated. They're Cleveland and Rainier Beach. And this plan does nothing to directly address those high schools. My, my question is uh, really Judge Boudin's question. You are, in effect, saying that by citing the school, they can achieve exactly the objective that they are seeking here. Uh, it, it's a question of, of do the, the, the question comes down to whether they can do it candidly or do it by clumsier means. Uh, that is, seems to me, a, a, an unacceptable basis to draw a constitutional line. With respect, Justice Souter, first of all, I think the kind of interests we're talking about, avoiding racial isolation and the like, do not lend themselves to absolutely targeted, it has to be 15 percent, it has to be 50, it has to be 25, it has to be 45. And I would actually suggest that the dangers in the opposite Well, you direction. were dealing, I mean, it, that, is, that isn't what they said here. I mean, they were dealing with a, a zone within which uh, they operated, and it was only when the numbers got to the outer limits that they said, okay, we're going to use a racial criterion to prevent anything more, any more extreme disparity. Well, and we can, I mean, in the second that's, case. That's what, in, they, that's what they do when they cite the school. They said, you know, we'll get a rough, whatever it is, 40, 60 mix. Well, I, I think in the second case, you'll see that, you know, the same logic that leads to this uh, uh, leads itself to stricter bans. But let me say, I would have thought the analysis would run the exact opposite way. And I would think that if you did, if you got to the point which the Ninth Circuit did on page 58A of its opinion, where it says, you know, with this objective that we've allowed, the most narrowly tailored way to get there is to expressly use race. Well, I would have thought that might have suggested there was something wrong with the compelling interest, if that's the way that it works. Or while you're talking about the ways, let me ask a practical question. Thirty-five years ago, in Swan, this Court said that a school board, particularly an elected one, didn't say that, could well conclude that to prepare students to live in a pluralistic society, each school should have a prescribed ratio of Negro to white students reflecting the proportion of the district as a whole, far more radical than anything that's at issue here. Then it adds, to do this as an educational policy is within the broad discretionary powers of school authorities. That's what this Court said 35 years ago. Thousands of school districts across the country were told have relied on that statement in an opinion to try to bring about a degree of integration. You can answer this in the next case if you want. So I'll uh, think about it. Does it you, you can answer in this case, General. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but my question, of course, is, is, is simply this. When you have thousands of school districts relying on this, to get a degree of integration in the United States of America, what are you telling this Court? is going to happen when we start suddenly making, departing from the case. Do you want us to overrule it? Why? Why? Practically. General? If, if I could answer the question, I think that the fact that you point to the specific language of Swan is helpful, because the Court there in dictum, I think everybody would agree that was dictum, said that you could achieve a prescribed ratio. And that's exactly where the logic of the other side, of the Ninth Circuit, of Judge Boudin, with all respect, that's where it takes you. And I think anybody that relied on that language 
in the wake of cases like Croson, in the wake of Freeman against Pitt that said achieving a racial balance for its own sake is not constitutional, and Bakke and Grutter against Gratz that all said that racial balancing is verboten, I think those school districts would have been misguided in relying on that language. Thank you. Thank you, General. Mr. Madden. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. When Seattle was last before this Court, you struck down a straight law that prevented busing for integration purposes because that law prevented the school board from seeking to provide the educational benefits of integrated schools. At that time, you said it was clear enough that all children benefit from exposure to ethnic and racial diversity in the classroom by preparing them for citizenship in our pluralistic society and teaching them to live in harmony and mutual respect. Mr. Madden, um, that, that's certainly a, a, an admirable goal. Could a, could a local unit, a municipality, or even a state uh, have another goal? Uh, uh, let's say what used to be great about the United States was the, the presence of various ethnic groups. I mean, there were the Pennsylvania Dutch, there were the Amish, there were uh, there was Little Italy's, there were Chinatowns, and these things are beginning to disappear. And, and we think that we should encourage the continuation of that diversity, as the federal government has done with respect to uh, 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 American Indian tribes. Uh, and therefore, we're going to uh, use public funds for such things as street festivals, a Chinatown street festival, an Italian street festival. We're going to encourage those organizations that uh, maintain that separateness. Is there anything unconstitutional about that objective? Um, provide, providing funding for street festivals. About the objective. I mean, I, I think we should foster separateness. Is there anything wrong with that? I think that, that in the context that you've described, that that would be constitutionally very problematic. Fine. It would be problematic? Yes. Well. Because I don't, I, you, I, you, I can you, conceive you, of, of that it's not the, unlike education, where the goal is to educate the entire community and to help to prepare the community, the students to live in that no. community. It's not a traditional role of government. Well, then let's just, please, please let, let me finish the line of questioning. Uh, Assume with me that it is not an unconstitutional objective, which I am sure it's not. Could the, could the government achieve that objective by barring people from moving into Little Italy or giving a preference to some people uh, to buy real estate in Little Italy if they are of Italian ancestry? Could it do that? That, that Absolutely not right. I would agree with you. So it, it would appear that even if the objective is okay, you cannot achieve it by any means whatever. And the mere fact that the objective of achieving a, a, a diverse, uh, balanced society is perfectly all right, although not, certainly not the only objective in the world, the mere fact that it's okay doesn't mean you can achieve it by any means whatever. Well, in I would submit that there's a fundamental difference between your, the circumstances you've described and a school system which takes all comers and is asked to educate them in part by preparing them to live in a pluralistic society. Well, my, my, my slight modification of Justice Scalia's hypothetical, which proceeds on the same theory, is suppose there's a, a huge demand for housing 
a developer has a plan uh, to build uh, 500 units, can the city say, uh, we'll grant you the permit on the ground on the condition that 30 percent of all the houses go to minorities? This I, means people will live together, then we can have a school, the school can be diverse? I would say not, because housing decisions are inherently private, unlike public education. And, and there's no way to know how those benefits are, are being distributed, if they're going to be comparable. I mean, I would say no. It's, it is not comparable to the schools. Well, your, your system is the one that gives a choice to the, to the individual. It, it does. And, and when there are more choices than there are seats available. Does that make a difference? What if you adopted a plan that insisted on a more or less rigid 60-40 ratio at every school and your assignments were made on that basis? It was not a follow-on to a choice system. Well, I think Would it, that be it, unconstitutional? Excuse me, Mr. Chief Justice. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I think in each circumstance, it depends on the status of the, of the school system. The, same, uh, the facts are otherwise the same, except you're — conclude that private choice contributes to further uh, division rather than integration, and so the assignments are made on a 60-40 basis. Is that uh, I think that is, that is roughly the circumstance that existed in the first Seattle case, Mr. Chief Justice. And additionally, I think that you then have to move into the realm of what's constitutionally permissible and can, in a constitutionally permissible use of race, a school system accommodate other values like choice and neighborhood ties and family connections to the school system? I, I, I still don't have your answer. Is, is this, this strict assignment 60-40 without regard to choice constitutional or, or not? I, I would want to know more about the system because I think strictly if there's nothing else and there's no flexibility, I think it presents narrow tailoring problems. And, and how does this not present narrow tailoring problems if, if the when you get to the fact of choice, the sole criteria at that level is the same as would be the case in a 60-40 assignment. Well, we have, we have accommodated choice to the extent there are seats available. And then we go to family connections. And then we, in operation, admit everyone who lives close to the school. And then, as to those that live further away, we look to see what's the school's racial demographic. Is it significantly different than the community? Because these schools that we've talked about have been the objects of significantly more aggressive integration efforts, and the board wanted to preserve those. One, so of, the, one of the factors our prior cases have looked to is whether the plan has a logical endpoint. What, what is the logical endpoint in this plan? Well, the the. Board actually, at, at, at every turn, reflected in the record, discussed whether it was necessary to continue the use of race, whether to narrow it, and eventually to end it. And I think it's in the Joint Appendix at 408. It's the superintendent's testimony of the simultaneously the measures that the board was implementing in terms of resource allocation, implementation of new programs, because they realized that by diversifying choice, they could hopefully achieve these, some of these same ends, not as quickly, not as efficiently, but that they could achieve them. And that's been, indeed, the entire trajectory of Seattle's integration efforts uh, since the first Seattle plan. But in, in Grutter, we said, and I'll shorten it just a little bit, at page 329-330 of the U.S. Reports 539, the law school's interest is not simply to assure within its student body some specified percentage of a particular group because of race. 
that would amount to outright racial balancing, which is patently unconstitutional. And that, it seems to me, what you have here. I think that the, the term racial balancing is, has kind of two significant meanings. One is a plan that does not foster a compelling interest. And, and second, a, a plan that's, that's too rigid, a quota, for instance, that might not pass narrow tailoring given the context. In this case, we're not after a rigid set of numbers, and certainly not after a rigid set of numbers for their, for their own sake. The purpose was to have schools that had become diverse through integration efforts not stray too far from the community's demographic because we're trying to prepare students to live in those communities. The problem is that unlike strategic siting, uh, magnet schools, uh, special resources, special programs in some schools, you are characterizing each student by reason of the color of his or her skin. That is quite a different means. And it seems to me that, that should only be, if ever allowed, allowed as a last resort. The, the board here was trying to distribute, sort out, seats that were available at these popular schools. And so it devised a system whereby every student had the opportunity to be assigned to at least one of those popular schools. And as far as the record shows, plaintiff's briefing, there are no material differences between those, comp those popular schools. Do you have um, 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 quotas for, for uh, racial hiring of your faculty in these schools? No. Why not? Uh, I don't think the board's ever found that necessary to, uh, to achieve diversity in the faculty. Justice Kennedy's question, I think, was, is this basically a kind of last resort, or how close to a last resort is it? What's the history of this? I thought the history involved a, a lawsuit to desegregate the schools, a much more rigid system of racial abuse of race. Ultimately, you come to this. Now you've stopped this. And what happened after you stopped it? What happened is that, that at the board well, What is the history, basically, there? Am I right? The history is that the board uh, had both narrowed the use of the integration tiebreaker in 99 and 2000, and then uh, continued it for the 2001 school year. We were in 2000, 2001 school year. We were enjoined in 2001 to use it in that year, which was considerably disruptive. But the board was also, the, the measures that it had implemented, implementing magnet schools at Rainier Beach and Chief Self High Schools in the South End, uh, implementing an international. That's not what I'm thinking. I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking sorry. that I thought, as I read this, and you have to correct me because you have a better knowledge. Originally, the schools were highly segregated, in fact. People brought a lawsuit. Then, to stop that, Seattle engaged in a plan that really bust people around on the basis of race. That led to white flight. That was bad for the schools. They then try a voluntary choice plan. This is part of that plan. Then when they abandon this plan, they discover more segregation. Is that basically right or not? When, when this plan has, um, the, the, the description is yes, basically right. When this plan, uh, was suspended and after the, uh, the Court of Appeals enjoined it, uh, the board had, as I said, experienced some considerable disruption in, uh, in the assignments because of the timing of the injunction. 
But the Board was also looking at the effect of the race-neutral, if you will, program measures that it had implemented, such that now Ingram High School in the north end of Seattle is much more popular. Nathan Hale is no longer oversubscribed. There's less demand for Ballard. But there have been — Do you think your schools, as they're operated now, are segregated? We have some change of conditions, but the the basic conditions remain. The trend has not been positive. For for example, and I think the the petitioner ticket ticket — Segregated. Segregated. You you refer to some of the schools as segregated. That's not what I understand by segregated. Not not in the sense — You know, if you belong to a country club that that, that has 15 percent black members, I would not consider that a segregated uh, country club. So what you're complaining about is, is not segregation in any, in any reasonable sense of that word. You're complaining about a lack of racial balance. We are not complaining about segregation resulting from purposeful discrimination. That's it's the true. only meaning of segregation. I agree. You're, you're talking about racial balance. Talking about schools that are, on the one end, racially isolated. The Solicitor General mentioned two of those. And talking on the other end about preserving the diversity that we had achieved through these years of effort in these North End schools. I think also Justice Alito and Justice Breyer, uh, and, I, and I myself am interested, can you tell us what has happened since the plan's been enjoined? Yes. I mean, have you gone back to square one and it's, it's just — uh, there's no diversity at all, or is there substantially more diversity? Can, can you tell us about that? Because it, this is important. It may mean that you don't need to identify students by the color of their skin in, so, in assignment. It, it may mean that the board, confronted with the circumstances, might well make that decision independent of this litigation. But let me answer the specific. Let's take Franklin High School um, to begin with. In, uh, in 2000, that school was 20, had 25 percent white enrollment. In 2005, it had 10 percent white enrollment. In the ninth grade, which is really the, the, the level at which we see the effect of the integration tiebreaker, in 2000, the, the white enrollment was 21 percent, was 8 percent in 2005. <clears throat> Go to Ballard High School on the other end. Ballard was uh, 56 percent white students in 2000. It's 62 percent in 2005. The ninth grade class has moved from 46 percent white students to 58 percent white students, keeping in mind that that school is now significantly less popular than it was. I think those effects would probably be be, uh, more extreme. But the, the plan, I want to emphasize, the plan was to try to disperse demand and to foster choices that would result in diversity, not to compel it. We how, did not how do you square your, your objective of achieving racial balance with your, your disinterest in the situation at Cleveland and Rainier Beach? And those are the most unbalanced schools under your definition, and yet those are not affected at all by this plan. Why, why are you not concerned about that? Well, they, they are affected by the plan in this way that in the past, the district had used mandatory measures, busing students across town, to try to integrate those schools. And the board decided after many years of effort that it would no longer do that. But it was also had the firm conviction that it, it would allow 
students who wanted the opportunity to opt out of those schools to do so. At the same time, it implemented magnet schools at Rainier Beach. It's a new building under construction at Cleveland. And so are it, the students who are attending those schools getting the benefits of attending a school that's racially balanced? And if they're not, why are you not concerned about that, if that's an, an important objective of your program? We, we are concerned about improving the quality of education in all the schools, but we do not mandate that a student attend a school for integration purposes as we once did. Why? Because it, it, it's important to the credibility and, and functionality of the school system to have a system that is accepted by the public, by our constituents. And so people like choice. They also like neighborhood schools. They also like diverse schools. And the board recognized when it set about to, to uh, develop this plan that accommodating all of those values would require some trade-offs. And the board, familiar with the local conditions, familiar with the history, did just that in what I submit was a, was a narrowly tailored and appropriate way. May I go back to the Cleveland School that Justice Alito mentioned? Am I correct that that was 16 percent uh, white under the plan? And I'm just wondering what happened to it during the last couple of years. Cleveland is now about 8 percent. And it was about, about half as many uh, whites as there were under the plan. I don't remember the precise number in 2000, but that sounds about right. Mr. Madden, there was a question raised uh, about your categories. That is, you have white and then everything else. And it was suggested that if you're looking for diversity, what was the, the schools that you just mentioned had a large percentage of Asian Americans, but they don't count. Um, what is your response to that? Well, the, the problem that the board was addressing was principally a, a problem of the distribution of white and non-white students. The, the, as a generality, 75 percent of all non-white students in the district lived in South Seattle. And that, that was true for all the ethnic groups except Native Americans who are very small Why is that the problem? Suppose you had a school in which 60 percent of the students are either of Asian ancestry or Latino ancestry, and 40 percent are white, as you classify people, and there are no African-American students at all. You would consider that to be a racially balanced school, would you not? I would say that if that circumstance occurred, that that would be something that the board would have to pay attention to and, and, and consider. But the fact of the matter is Nothing that under the plan requires that, does it? No, because the, the numbers in terms of the distribution of ethnic groups, separate ethnic groups, and the benefits or impacts of the plan were spread proportionately. And what is the theory behind that? Is the, the theory is that the white students there or the Asian students or the Latino students would not benefit from having African-American classmates? It's enough if they have uh, either Asian classmates or Latino classmates or, or white classmates? No. How, does he, how do you square that with your, your objective of providing benefits that flow from racial balance? I may, I may have confused the answer to the hypothetical with the, with 
the rationale and, and on the ground, which was that we did not have that kind of single minority ethnic group uh, disparity existing in any school. I was saying, however, that if that existed, I think that would be something the board would have to be mindful of. But as a practical matter, because our non-white eth- ethnic neighborhoods in South Seattle are themselves quite integrated, that the movement under this plan did not produce disparities for or against any particular uh, ethnic group. And so I think in the end it might have been more divisive to have individual tiebreakers for the separate minority uh, ethnic groups. What uh, criteria of race uh, does the school, just out of curiosity, does the school district use? I mean, what if uh, a particular child's grandfather was uh, uh, was was white. Mm. Would, uh, would would he qualify as a, a white or non-white? I would say that. Well, the the answer is we. I mean, there must be some criterion there. There, there are many, there, many many people of, of mixed blood. The district right. has has no criteria itself. The district uses classifications that are developed by the federal government, but allows parents to self-identify what, what children. Allows parents to say I'm I'm white no matter what. Uh, that allows the parents to self-identify. And the record in this case, through the testimony of petitioner's president, is they were aware of no abuse of that. Seems like a big loophole. It, it, it seems like one, but, in, it, but according to the record, it's not an issue. I'd like to — You don't uh, defend the, 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 the choice policy on the basis uh, that the, the schools offer education to everyone of the same quality, do you? Oh, Yes. Yes, it, it, they, they offer the, the popular schools to which everyone had access under this plan who wanted access. I think it's, it's — there is no how dispute. Is that, how is that different from a separate but equal argument? In other words, it doesn't matter that they're being assigned on the basis of their race because they're getting the same type of education. Well, because the schools are not racially separate. The goal is to maintain the diversity that existed within a broad range in order to try to obtain the benefits that the educational research shows flow from an integrated education. Even though in the individual cases, the students, including minority students, and I gather 89 or 100 of the cases, are being denied admission on the basis of their race. They're not being denied admission. They're being distributed. Seats are being distributed to them. And this is not this is not like they're being denied admission to the school of their choice. Yes, but this is not like being denied admission to the flat, a state's flagship university. And I think I, for that proposition, I would cite Justice Powell's opinion in the Bakke case, where he was at some pains to uh, point out that a school integration plan is wholly dissimilar to a selective. University if admissions we, If we look at things that parents are concerned about when they are considering where their children are going to go to high school, if we look at things like SAT scores, for example, or performance on statewide tests, would we see that the oversubscribed schools and the undersubscribed schools have similar test scores? It depends on what school you're talking about, Justice Alito, and, and, and in this case, I think the most important point to start with is that there was no contention that there was any material difference in quality between the five popular high schools. Well, if we looked at Garfield and Cleveland, what would we find? 
think you would find a reasonable basis to perceive a quality difference between those two schools. But this plan didn't assign any students to Cleveland. I want to um, take a moment, if I can, to turn to the issue of individualized consideration because so much emphasis has been placed on it uh, uh, in earlier discussion. It seems to us, first of all, that, that this court in Grutter said that not all uses of race trigger the same objections and that the court must be mindful of the context. This is not, as I've said, a selective or merit-based system where we judge one student to be better than another. We do consider individual factors before we get to race, starting with choice and family connection and how close you live to the school. But, but ultimately, this is a distributive system which, as Justice Powell, as I noted, Justice Powell said in the Bakke case, was quite wholly dissimilar to a selective or merit-based system. And what it seems to us as being suggested by the United States and by the petitioner is a system that would force an individualized merit-based review on any kind of race-conscious program, specifically an assignment to public schools. Well, that rule allows the means to define the ends, and it ends up, I think, defeating the purpose that the Court had of not stigmatizing the reason, The reason that our prior tests have focused on individual determination is that the purpose of the Equal Protection Clause is to ensure that people are treated as individuals rather than based on the color of their skin. So saying that this doesn't involve individualized determinations simply highlights the fact that the decision to distribute, as you put it, is based on skin color and not any other factor. Mr. Chief Justice, the, in, in Grutter, you, you said specifically that individualized review was required in the context of university admissions. In this context, the kind of review, the specific kind of review that I understand the, the United States to urge and the petitioner to urge, serves no purpose, and it may itself be stigmatizing in the context of public school where everyone gets a seat. You, you're saying that the individual treatment makes no sense in terms of the objective here. I, I thought that's what you... Justice Ginsburg, that, that is correct. I am saying, however, that this plan, consistent with narrow tailoring, provided consideration of individual circumstances, including an appeal on hardship grounds for someone who felt that they had been uh, denied a school that they needed to be in. Well, the, 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 the emphasis on the fact that everybody gets into a school, it seems to me, is, 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 mis, is misplaced. The question is whether or not you can get into the school that you really prefer. And that, in some cases, depends solely on skin color. You know, it's it's like saying that everybody can have the meal, but only people of a separate skin can get the dessert. Well, like the Michigan cases, sometimes students, in the end of the day, have an assignment determined by race. Just like in, in the university cases, at some point, race will be a tipping factor. Different, though, right. we put someone in a basically comparable school. Well, you're saying every, I mean, everyone got a seat in Brown as well. But because they were assigned to those seats on the basis of race, it violated equal protection. 
How is your argument that there's no problem here because everybody gets a seat distinguishable? Because segregation is harmful. Integration, as this Court has recognized in Swan and the first Seattle case, has benefits. Well, the, but the district was assiduously. It seems to me facility. you're saying you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Did, can, can you think of any other area of the law in which we we say whatever it takes, so long as there's a real need, whatever it takes. I mean, if we have a lot of crime out there, and the only way to to get rid of it is to uh, use warrantless searches. Uh, you know, fudge on some of the protections of the Bill of Rights, whatever it takes, we got to do it. Do you have any, any area of the law that doesn't have some absolute restrictions? There, there are many areas of law, certainly in the First Amendment, that have, have and the Fourth Amendment that have considerable flexibility. Well, what but, about the 14th? I, I had thought that that was one of the absolute restrictions, that you cannot judge and classify people on the basis of their race. You, you can pursue the objectives that, 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 that your school board is pursuing, but, but at some point you come up against an absolute, and, and aren't you just denying that? I think that, that in Grutter and Gratz, this Court rejected the absolute and instead described strict scrutiny, which we feel we meet, and, and it's why we are not urging an absolute position. We say that we indeed comply with the requirements of narrow tailoring and that the plan, therefore, should be upheld. And the question of uh, integration, whether, whether any use of a racial criterion, uh, whether integration, using race for integration is the same as segregation, seems to me pretty far from the kind of headlines that attended the Brown decision. They were, at last, whites and white and black children together on the same school bench. It seems to be worlds apart from saying we'll separate them. We, cer- we certainly agree, Justice Ginsburg, and would go one step further and note that in Brown, this Court said that the effects of segregated schools are, are worse. There's no effort here on this part of the, s- the school to separate students on the basis of race. It's an assignment on the basis of race, correct? It, it, and it, it is an effect to to bring students together in a mix that is not too far from their community. I see that my time has expired. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Madden. Uh, Mr. Correll, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. There were some questions of of my friend, Mr. Madden, about the the record and the uh, statistics about enrollment. I'd like to draw the Court's attention, uh, particularly Justice Breyer and and, uh, Justice Stevens' questions about what the schools look like now. Uh, and if the Court looks at uh, pages 6 and 7 of our reply brief, we've provide, provided the, uh, the enrollment data. Uh, the information on page 7 comes from a school district website that provides the enrollment data at the individual schools. Uh, in 2005 and 2006, enrollment in the oversubscribed schools is now 54 percent non-white, which is greater than it was uh, under the uh, districts. Are you — this the, — the, uh, as I gather, the plan where race is used — has to do only with the ninth grade. And therefore, what you'd like to know is when you look at the ninth grade after they stop using any racial criteria at all, what happened to those ninth grade classes? Did they become more heavily separated or did they retain their diversity? Are the numbers that you're about to read us, which I have in front of me, 
going to do that, tell us that, or are they not about — I think they're about the whole school. They are, Your Honor, but they're about the whole school after four years of operating without the race preference. So each of the four years that are represented in the aggregate shows the effect that I think Your Honor was asking about. So the record in this case shows that the Seattle schools are richly diverse. And it's very important in our view that the Court not lose sight of that. We've talked about integration and segregation, but I urge the Court to take a look at the data that petitioners submit regarding the actual enrollment in these schools. A couple of other uh, record citations I'd like to bring to the Court's attention. Uh, Justice Kennedy, I think, asked about considering race as a last resort. It is simply not the case that the school district looked at race as a last resort. And I would draw the Court's attention to the superintendent's testimony at Joint Appendix 224 and 25, where he said, in essence, the reason we didn't consider race-neutral plans is because we were interested in racial diversity. The numbers I have here is sort of a Franklin went from 25 percent white to 12.7 percent. Roosevelt, which was basically a white school, had jumped up from about 51 to 59. Ballard jumped up from about 56 to 62. Then Garfield went down some. It's more mixed. But those were the worst ones. Am I right on that? Uh, Your Honor, I think the numbers that you're, you're reading are from the difference between the 2000 and 2000, or 2099 and the 2000 enrollments. Anyway. Okay. The, the, the numbers I was trying to bring to the Court's attention were the difference between the enrollment under the race-based plan and the enrollment in 2005-2006, which shows significant and continued racial diversity in Seattle's high schools. Uh, Council suggested also that there's no material difference in, um, among the five oversubscribed schools, and I would draw the Court's attention to the testimony of the Board President at Joint Appendix 261 to 274, where she discusses in detail the programmatic differences. It is true that those five schools were oversubscribed and they were popular, but they all provide unique programs, some of which, as we indicated in our briefs, required uh, children to meet certain prerequisites to be able to attend. Was the Board simultaneously trying to introduce similar programs or attractive programs in the undersubscribed schools? Your Honor, I'm perhaps not the best person to, to answer that. I believe the Board has been trying to uh, introduce programs at all of its schools that would make each school unique, and I think that includes the undersubscribed schools as well. Uh, Justice Breyer asked a question about the, the, uh, the process of this litigation, and my understanding is there was never a lawsuit against Seattle to compel uh, uh, desegregation. There were always voluntary plans. The, the case is submitted. Thank you.